Coming up next on Twitch, this week in computer hardware, a festival of GPUs, what to spend your Sandy Bridge refund on, the amazing six-monitor setup from Samsung, speeding up video rendering, and more. Coming up next on Twitch. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twitch. Bandwidth for Twitch is provided by Cashfly at C A C H E F L Y dot com. This is Twitch This Week in Computer Hardware, episode 117, recorded April 28, 2011. Forget the PS3 game on your PC. This episode of This Week in Computer Hardware is brought to you by Netflix. Watch thousands of TV episodes and movies streamed to your PC, Mac, or TV instantly. Plus, get DVDs by mail in about one business day. For your free 30-day trial, go to netflix.com slash twit. Welcome to Twitch, This Week in Computer Hardware. I'm Patrick Norton, joined as always by the benchmarking maven, the man, the myth himself, Ryan Shrout. Ryan, is it cold in Ohio? Uh, no, it is not cold in Ohio. It is cool. rainy. We've had uh, lots of lots of rain, lots of flooding. Um, we haven't had admit, a lot of that tornado issue over here. I know, I don't know, seeing on like CNN stuff that across the Midwest, there's been like, I don't know, 200 something deaths from tornadoes in the last week or something like that, which is a, a huge amount. Uh, but apparently nothing that far north uh, to have affected us. So mm. other, other than swimming to work, I'm doing okay. <laughs> Swimming can be a little bit awkward. It's uh, okay. So everybody else, if if you're not a PlayStation user, you might not know about the PlayStation Network being down. Okay, mm -hmm. if you're not a PlayStation user and you aren't on the internet at all, yeah, you might not know also, about the PlayStation Network's been down. <laughs> this also affects uh, Sony televisions, though, right? The uh, their kind of online services on the Sony TVs as well. Oddly, I, I don't know off the top of my head. Okay. Um, yeah, it's actually kind of funny. It's, it's been a really weird. You have a ton of GPU news. We were talking about, like, what other stories yes. are there? And it's like, okay, um, there is the Amazon cloud issues that happened between this week and last week. There was the PlayStation Network outage. These are mostly where the hardware software integration is so tight on this piece of hardware that the machine, while not rendered useless by the lack of the ability to log on to the PlayStation Network or Curiosity, is certainly crippled in yes. a significant way. Uh, if you don't know why, go to penny-arcade.com and, and look around for the PlayStation uh, <laughs> cartoon they did the last few days. Um, Samsung and Apple are in a battle of lawsuits over basically tablets. You know, Something else new, right? Yeah, Yeah, you know, Samsung copied Apple even though Samsung has a product that looked like the, the, the iPhone before. It's, it's, you know, so lawsuits are going on, strategic lawsuits on multiple continents between Samsung <laughs> and Apple. You know, and I think we should just go straight. Do you want to start with the, the GeForce GTX 460 or the NVIDIA Synergy or the SLI support? Uh, on the AMD chipsets. I mean, what has you the most excited? <laughs> uh, well, what has me the most excited? There's two things um, that that we'll talk about that kind of have me excited. And as you're talking about, it is a very GPU heavy week here. I think I had showed you this card before. This is the GTX 460 to win, or as somebody in our commenting thread <laughs> called it, the GeForce, uh, the GTX 460 twin. Is in twin, is in two GPUs. Maybe that's more correct mm -hmm. than uh, than just two win. Um, Nicknamed the Charlie Sheen. Yeah, 
It's the winning Sorry. card. There's, uh, it's, it's a unique graphics card. There has never been a dual GPU GTX 460 before this card from EVGA. It doesn't exist anywhere else. This is a custom design that EVGA and NVIDIA apparently worked on together. And because of that, they, they got the exclusive rights to sell it. There's, there's nothing uh, technologically speaking that's very unique about this card. They are the exact same GTX 460 GPUs that you can buy in your standard single GPU graphics cards today. Um, they have one gig frame buffer each for two gigs total on the card. And they are basically running SLI on a card through uh, an Enforce 200 PCI Express bridge chip on this PCB. So uh, when you actually you plug it into your system and you install the driver and look at the driver, it will actually say, would you like to enable SLI? Because it, it, it basically sees it as two different GPUs uh, in your system. The benefit, of course, is that they're on one PCB. Mm -hmm. And um, this, this kind of ties into our second story as well, because uh, you, current AMD configurations, you cannot run SLI. You can do Crossfire, but you can't do SLI. That's because NVIDIA has not licensed it uh, for use on AMD motherboards. This, these kinds of solutions allow you to get around that. You can run this card on an, any motherboard that has a PCI Express by 16 slot. Same thing with That's NVIDIA's GTX really cool. 590. You can do that too. So, I mean, has, has NVIDIA just been loath to license the technology to their competitor out of spite or because they didn't think there was enough demand or? Uh, both, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's fair to say that when, even, even today still, the AMD processor brand doesn't have a big uh, pull in the gaming market necessarily. And, and that sounds kind of bad, but a lot of people are using AMD processors. A lot of the people that are considering SLI graphics configurations NVIDIA thinks are not um, the same kind of target as that would want to use two graphics cards in their system at the same time. So that's, there's probably right. some bit of truth to that, but people don't like not having choice. So um, the, they, they haven't done it both, I think, because there hasn't been enough pressure because there hasn't been a strong demand for AMD processors as compared to Intel processors, basically since... Um, the you know the 900 series that like the Core i7 920 was was the love child for the enthusiast community, right? That that really set it off so that Nvidia really didn't have any choice but to start allowing that on Intel chipsets. Um, I guess we've kind of already transitioned. I'll come back and talk about the performance of that card. But <laughs> what what happened here with uh, this announcement today is Nvidia came out in a blog post today and said that good news, everybody, we're going to ha allow SLI support on upcoming AMD chipsets, the 990FX, the 990X, and the 970 chipsets. These are the chipsets that will support the Lano processors and uh, the bulldozer processors coming out late. I think all those are due out at some point in 2011. So, um, you know, the NVIDIA wants to bill it as this happy-go-lucky thing. Is like, look, we're taking care of our community. They, they asked us to do this, so we are doing it for them. Aren't we wonderful people? The truth is that people have been asking them to do this for quite a long time, and it took them quite a long time in order to do this. And I think they're seeing that there is excitement in the channel and in the market for AMD's Lano and Bulldozer processors, and they don't want to risk any possibility that they would be left out of that boat. Right, they don't want to. They don't want to miss sales because people are all of a sudden going to start buying these bulldozer processors later in the year, but not, you know, but then have to go with AMD graphics because they want the possibility of doing multi GPU down the road. So it's still good news. 
um, for consumers overall. This means basically you'll be able to get SLI on pretty much any platform now, whereas Crossfire is the only one is the only system that's been that flexible up to this point. Hmm. So here's the question I got to say the first time when once I got over my obsession with the uh, three fans on that GeForce GTX 2 oh, right. Um can I run if I have two by 16 slots, can I run that in a can, can you double up a dual GPU SLI contained card like that? <laughs> so you're asking me this this shiny little PCI uh, PCI Express or I'm sorry bridge connector SLI bridge connector it exists on this card it is here on this very EVGA card the problem is uh, I actually wrote this review saying that well of course you'll be able to uh, use it there's an SLI bridge there. I immediately got an email from EVGA saying, um, actually, that's not the case. That's been disabled in the, in the BIOS. The driver won't let you do it. And it was a mistake for that connection to be on oh. the cards. It's your question. No, you cannot. I mean, the reasoning is, if you look at a GTX 460 right. graphics card, a single GPU card, it only has one SLI connection, meaning you can only do two-way SLI with the GTX 460. So... Mm -hmm. Since you were already technically doing two-way SLI on the single PCB with that GPU, uh, then they have decided that, that's, that they're not going to extend it past that, which is kind of a disappointment. That's, yeah. That feature is offered on other higher-end cards. Um, so that's kind of a letdown. You know, now we'll, we'll stop talking about this card, but I'll... In terms of its price and performance, it's about mm -hmm. $70 less than the GTX 580. And it's about $50 more than the GTX 570. And its performance mm -hmm. is much closer to the GTX 580 than to the GTX 570. Mm. Um, and it, it has, because it's an SLI configuration on a card, you'll notice that there are three DVI outputs on it and a mini HDMI. And you can use all four of those at the same time. And this is one of the few NVIDIA cards that you can do uh, NVIDIA surround on. The GTX 590, when it came out, you can do three displays off that. Remember that the inherent technology of NVIDIA's GPU still only support two display outputs per card. But in right. this case, since we have two GPUs on here, it can do all four. So <laughs> this card actually has, I would say, a better feature set than the GTX 580, a little right. bit lower performance, and it costs $70 less. So it's, it's a pretty compelling card for that user that has like a $400 budget, doesn't really want to go up to the, to the 480 mark, and uh, is maybe thinking about doing multi-monitor gaming because this, this will allow you to do that in a way that um, other higher-end NVIDIA graphics cards won't. So, so it, that's it, actually it, a plus. It, actually, it's kind of interesting because it seems like the price performance is pretty good at that stage. It is. Um, it, we'll, we've gotten comments, and, and this is something we mentioned in the review as well. Right. From a pure dollar perspective, it actually still makes sense to buy. If you have an SLI-capable system, to buy mm -hmm. a pair of GTX 460s and put them in an SLI okay. configuration because that will cost you about $70 less than this card. You'll get the same features um, right. and the same performance. The problem is you'll, you'll take, you're taking up twice as much space in your case. You have to have extra power connectors, and you know your system may not, if you have an AMD, like we were talking about before, if you have an AMD rig, you can't run SLI. So hmm. there, there's trade-offs both ways. I, right. I was excited enough about the card to give it an award on the site because I just think it's, it's unique. We don't see enough of these cards that are kind of custom designs out right. in the market, and, and I 
like to see differentiation in the field. A whole bunch of reference cards aren't very interesting. We need to have <laughs> unique things an, like this that push boundaries other, that otherwise might not have been addressed. So Hey, it's a nice hack. I support awarding originality and creativity, especially exactly. since I have a, a growing obsession with flight sim. <laughs> Multiple monitors is going to be good for you. Good for that, no doubt. It's if I can figure out where to keep them in my house um, to keep them out of the reach of the small creature. Um, I am not particularly excited about Blu-ray 3D decoding acceleration on AMD's Radeon HD 6770 and 6750. Uh, not that they aren't good cards, but it's just I don't know. I, I just am not excited about 3D movies for the most part. How about you? Uh, no, not not super excited about it. I mean, it's nice that it's there. It's great you for should, home theater buffs. You should be less excited about the fact that the newly announced Radeon HD 6770 and 6750 are otherwise exactly identical to the currently <laughs> selling Radeon HD 5770 and 5750. Like, they use the same GPU, they use the same memory, they use the same clock speeds, the same memory speeds. Um, they, are, they are the epitome of a rebrand launch. Um, you know, we have a bunch of 6,000 series parts now. Uh, we want to sell something at the 100 to $130 price range. And uh, we have this great part here that we still, still think is fantastic in terms right. of performance and competition, all that kind of stuff. So now it's a 6,000 series part. Ta-da! Even though it really um, should have been the fifty-seven seventy-five and the sixty or the right. fifty-seven fifty-five. Yeah. So they they did add support for three D uh, hardware decode Blu-ray three D acceleration, which you know, as I, as I think I, in, in in some kind of smart aleck way, mentioned in here <laughs> that you know, very few people are interested that have three D TVs, and even less of those people that actually want to use the three D in their three D TVs. Um, but I mean, it's okay. It's not. It's not that big a deal either way. Uh, they're not. They weren't trying to upsell it very hard. They they realized it was a rebrand, and they weren't trying to to, to definitely push it on people. Um, right. Although you know, it, Nvidia was quick to like say, "Hey, we got a lot of crap about this a long time ago for rebranding the 8800 to the 9800 to the 200 series GTX 200 series, something like that." Mm -hmm. But they did it like three times in succession. So this is a <laughs> little bit different here. Um, Either way, you know, it's what I would, my tip to everybody listening to this or watching this is that if you're interested in a card in that price range, keep an eye out, you know, go to Newegg every day or every hour, or however, you know, ADD you happen to be, um, <laughs> and check for sales on the 5770 and the 5750 because they're going to kind of clear those out to make room for the 6770 and 6750. Right. You know, you'll be, uh, my guess is you'll be able to find some 5770s for like 80 bucks on rebates and that type of thing very soon if you can't already. Um, so it, it's a good time to get a deal on a card if you're on the lookout for something in that range. So not too shabby. Again, I guess. <laughs> Again, so GeForce GTX 460, the HC 6770, 6750, NVIDIA Synergy, AMD 990FX, X and 970 chipsets. Hmm. Did we mention the Synergy stuff? I mean, that's... Remember I was talking about Lucid's Virtue software? Right. And it was going to allow you to use the discrete and integrated graphics on the Sandy Bridge processor at the same time? This is good. Uh, or desirable, if anybody implements it. The software <laughs> didn't work very well in Lucid's case. Um, right. I mean, it's, 
it's not an easy thing to do. And the long story short is NVIDIA is going the same thing now. They're, they've announced or they're going to announce, this is kind of a leak out of another website that's saying that they were going to have a piece of software called Synergy that would allow the exact same function, obviously with NVIDIA graphics cards only, uh, but that it would allow you to, um, with the pending launch of the Z68 chipset from Intel that will have overclocking features and support for display output, you'll be able to use NVIDIA Synergy to run your discrete graphics and integrated graphics at the same time. Very similar limitations. You have to have your primary monitor. You have to have at least one monitor hooked up to the integrated graphics outputs on the motherboard. So if you only have mm -hmm. one display, you're going through that. Um, and then you'll be able to run the transcoding applications through the Intel graphics. You'll be able to run, uh, you know, your DVD playback applications and that kind of stuff. If you've ever used a system with NVIDIA Optimus, it will, my guess is, look very, very similar. Um, where you can right-click on an application and say, run this program on integrated graphics, discrete graphics. And you'll have that kind of granularity that you'll be able to do that, which is, uh, in my opinion, a much better implementation than what Virtue has done. So um, the only question marks for me are multi-monitor gaming. I don't know how that's going to work. I, don't th I would guess that like, being able to do NVIDIA surround or 3D vision is going to be out in that equation mm -hmm. because you're passing frame buffers already through from the discrete graphics card to the uh, onboard system memory to be output through the integrated graphics. So once we get into 3D, you're doing double buffering. And that I don't, I'm not really sure. We haven't really tested it yet, but I'm guessing that you'll lose a couple of those features if you were interested in them. Um, so we'll, we'll look into that and make sure when, when we actually do our Z68 hands-on testing and that kind of stuff. All right. Any exciting uh, hardware news? Actually, I should ask you after. I'm, I was, I was kind of bummed you had Alan on last week. Alan yes. is available when I am absent. I was feeling pain and suffering uh, once <laughs> I found that out. <laughs> he, well, we, we got there. Uh, we actually started recording about an hour late because he thought I meant 9 o'clock Central instead of 9 o'clock <laughs> Eastern or something like that. But, right. yeah, we got there. And he, we answered a lot of – I kind of uh, went through and stockpiled a lot of uh, storage-related questions to uh, oh, cool. kind of hit on his expertise there. But yeah, it worked out, it worked out pretty well. He also recommended um, this little screwdriver. I just happened to bring this. I thought you might be interested in this, Patrick. You take apart a lot of small things. I do. Um, this is a, a tiny electric screwdriver. You can see it has a, it sounds like a, almost like a dental toothbrush. But it's a tiny electric screwdriver that has all these tiny little Torx bits, Phillips, flat, type of thing, uh, and, it, and it works pretty well if you're taking apart cell phones or tablets or uh, laptops especially are one of those things where they have tiny screws. And I think it was like 25 bucks or something like that. So uh, I, obviously on Amazon because anything you want to buy ever, you can <laughs> find on Amazon. Especially if it's like an unlabeled company or a company you've never heard of from a strange place off. It's kind of funny. I, was, I heard that noise and I was thinking about it. I replaced a catalytic converter on my wife's uh, Volvo before we split mm -hmm. on vacation and uh, I was using a Dremel tool for like three hours. <laughs> that sounds like that, yeah. It doesn't spin sound. quite as fast as a Dremel, thank God, but... Um, yeah, well, yeah. always wear goggles when you're using Dremel cutoff blades on steel underneath the vehicle. Goggles, even I wear goggles, and I was glad I did. You know, it probably says that right on the box, Patrick. <laughs> just assuming you still have the, the box. <laughs> but you just wear safety goggles, even if you're using the little tiny jeweler screwdrivers. We, uh, 
We, uh, that's funny, actually. Somebody in the, the Twizzler, I guess we have 3D gaming and they can work on that a bit, but it just seems that graphics haven't improved that much in the last two or three years. 2D graphics haven't improved much in the last decade, except for, uh, uh, you know, doing things like moving H.264 unpacking from the CPU to the GPU. But, right. yeah, all the interesting stuff, Twizzler, has really been happening in 3D for a very long time. I'd almost say almost a a decade might be too long, but he says has a PC gaming reached years. its limit as far as graphics quality? How much better can they make the same oh, aliens no. look? And the answer is a lot better looking. Um, yeah, graphics horsepower is, is still increasing quite a bit. It has, it has been, I'd say, it's increased slower. I think it's more on the case of content creation being content creation being much more difficult. As you get to these extremely high detail levels, it takes an artist much, 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 much longer to use all of that horsepower. That's why the benefits of tessellation were so, uh, are so important for future games using DirectX 11 and that kind of stuff because tessellation is one of those ways that we can cheat and get a free, improved image quality with at, without the added expense of people time. So... I, I think I still think we have a long way to go, and we'll see when you mm -hmm. can get this kind of graphics horsepower in your phone um, and get three days battery life. Then I'll say graphics performance is, is at a point where I'm happy. But even then, yeah. I won't be because it'll be something else. But I mean, it's kind of frustrating. Consoles are it's it's you know big news uh, from last week. Like the you know Nintendo leaks the info about the Wii 2 mm -hmm. and how they're going to debut that this summer. Uh, partially to distract uh, the entire gaming community from the from the news that their revenues were down like 66 percent or something, but I bring that up because you know the the Wii is is SD it's standard definition the the, mm -hmm. the Xbox 360 the PS3 are are kind of aging is a graceful way of putting it uh, in terms of the hardware inside of them and I hear a lot of people arguing that the consoles are the biggest hindrance on the advancement of some PC games because if you want to do a, a true multi platform system it's kind of frustrating to do these amazing state of the art graphics for the PC and and mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'd have to kind of scale everything back on the consoles. At least that's how it feels to me. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to talk to some of the developers about how they feel about that. Indeed. Um, uh, let's, well, indeed. I guess we'll go ahead and jump into some emails and Twitter questions. Before we get to that, though, we should take a moment to thank today's podcast sponsor. That would be Netflix. Netflix delivers movies directly to your home, and that saves you time, money, and hassle. Uh, long gone are the days where any of us should have to go to a blockbuster or a movie warehouse of your local uh, establishment style. Um, not only can you get DVDs by mail in about one business day, DVDs and Blu-rays, depending on the, the, the type of plan you use, but you can also instantly watch thousands of TV episodes and movies instantly. Stream directly to your PC or Mac or stream to your TV via a Netflix-ready device, including the Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, or Nintendo Wii. As far as, I can under, uh, as far as I can tell, you can still watch Netflix through PS3 while the PSN is down. So, good news for everybody there. Um, <laughs> you can watch as many movies as you want, anytime you want. There are never any late fees or due dates. Even if you get the DVDs by mail, you send one back, they send you the next one. It's a really, really easy system, and instantly makes it even better. Um, now, we're always asked to pick a movie that we might recommend you watching on the Netflix instant streaming. The one I picked today happened to pop up on uh, the, uh, the homepage there, and it is a rated R film. So if you are <sighs> under the age of 18, close your ear holes 
for the next <laughs> 45 seconds or so. Um, Full Metal Jacket came out in 1987. If you have not seen this movie, it is... I remember Epic. watching it when I was like in high school. It's one of the most confusing movies you know, you'll ever watch where it's both incredibly hilarious and funny, incredibly sad, incredibly like demented and tormenting. And then like the last 30 seconds of the movie, just like you, you end and you're just like, I have no idea what is going on with this sick, with, with, with the sick twisted movie. It's Stanley Kubrick. So you, you know, you kind of expect a lot of that stuff in there. Um, it, it has a lot of names, probably a lot of people in it that, you know, maybe not names. Adam Baldwin is probably a name. Matthew Modine. Um, Arlie Ermey. Yep. Yep. It's got, it's got a lot of classic people. Um, who, who was the, um, who was the, the, the drill sergeant? Was that Arlie Ermey? Okay. I was going to say he, he has made a living off of that character since this movie has come out. So, um, as I said, R-rated, 17 plus, I guess, in the United States is the rule there. It, it, instant streaming, you can watch this tonight. All you have to do is go and sign up for your free Netflix account. Um, let's see the URL for that, of course, is netflix.com slash twit. Instantly watch that movie or thousands of other TV episodes or other movies when you register for the free trial membership. Netflix.com slash twit. And we thank Netflix for their support of This Week in Computer Hardware. Thank you, Netflix. Oh, boy. Who's up for a GPU budget question? <laughs> Who is not up for a GPU budget question? We should point out, uh, of course, the email address, twitch at twit.tv. And then uh, follow Patrick and I on Twitter as well. I always kind of, uh, usually the day of the show recording on Thursdays, solicit to the crowds, to the masses for questions at Patrick Norton and at Ryan Shrout are the incredibly clever Twitter names to follow there. So, but yeah, so let's jump into those emails. On that one. So Anthony <laughs> says, Anthony, Anthony is feeling gaming pain. He's, uh, but he says he's got a twist. He's not the only one who's, he doesn't think he's the only one who's asking for a, a GPU recommendation, but here's his twist. He wants to play Portal 2, which is just released. He knows his current system will not play Portal 2 because his current system can barely play Portal 1, even with all the video settings set to the minimum. Whenever I'm looking through a portal and during the whole final battle, I get audio clipping and a noticeable drop in frame rates. I would say this is not unexpected on a system with integrated graphics, especially if it's three or four years old. To upgrade, I definitely need a, to build a new system. All the parts could use a boost. The best CPU I have around me is a couple years old at best. Okay, here's the twist. I don't need a specific graphics card recommendation, more of a price point plan to base my new system on. I'm thinking the mid-range to high-range system on the PC per leaderboard would probably make a good starting point. If you're not familiar with the PC per leaderboard, pcper.com slash leaderboard is a excellent collection of parts lists, basically recommendations on the parts you need to build a solid system, anywhere from sub $500 up to, oh my goodness, you have a platinum American Express card. <laughs> so Anthony is thinking, A, I should probably plan on about $200 for a GPU that will play Portal 2 without problems and lower graphics games for the next couple years. He's been building up a collection of games on Steam, some of which I don't have the processing power to play yet, so anything that could handle Portal 2 will most likely be able to handle my existing but unplayed collection. Any thoughts to add? <laughs> yeah, actually. Uh, you know, the best thing about 
buying a five hundred to a thousand dollar CPU every three or four years is by the time you upgrade, the performance difference is going to be vast and mind altering and delightful and happy making. And you won't be like, I spent how much for an incremental improvement in performance? You'll have a radical change in how fast your computer does everything. Mm-hmm. Um, something we've said before, Ryan and I both. Don't buy parts onesie twosie. Save your money, then buy all the parts at once to buy your game. You know, it, 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 you know, onesie twosie over two weeks is fine. But people are like, well, I want to buy a CPU now, and next month I'm going to buy a motherboard. The month after that, I'll buy memory, and the month after that, I'll buy a GPU. At which point, there'll either be a new GPU or a new motherboard or a new CPU, or the prices will have dropped like 25%. And you'll be like, man, if I waited four months, I could have gotten the motherboard and the memory. For the money I saved on the, you know, it just save money, then buy parts when you're ready to actually build the system. Because the yeah. you will always spend less money for the same part or get more performance for the same amount of money if you wait. Uh, especially it's, if you're talking about a bad, months. A bad car analogy would be: um, Would you make car payments for on a 36-year loan and then take the car at the end of the loan? <laughs> making payments in. And maybe they give you the steering wheel and then a wheel or something like right. that, a tire. You don't want to do that. You, you, you know, save it all up, then buy. You get the best you can at, at that instant. So, Here's a question for you, Ryan. A low-end system leaderboard, $443, AMD Athlon 2X4645, and a Sapphire uh, 1028-7L, which is an HD5670. Those mm-hmm. are probably a little lower than you would want performance-wise to run Portal 2. Um, it should th- th- those should still play it, uh, but Portal okay. Two, uh, in terms of new games, is likely to be the least demanding mm-hmm. of any modern game out there. Right. And it still looks really good, and it's definitely more stressful than Portal One. Not a whole lot, but it's definitely more stressful than Portal One. I would say um, yes. The, these specs are probably a little less than would be desired if you wanted to have the system extend out two, three years type of build to, to, to get a system up and running that will play games of today. You know, the mid-range board is a significant jump up. You might take a look at just the GPU in there where we talked about a 6950 for mm-hmm. $210. Um, you know, actually, if you take that low-end budget, budget build that's 450 bucks or less currently priced, right. and you replace that 5670, say, with a... GTX 560 that might cost $150 instead of $75, then I think you have a system that could handle Portal 2 without any issues and even be able to play, say, Battlefield 3 when it comes out, I think, later this year. Not at max settings. Don't expect that kind of stuff for, for a budget system. But you'll be able to play it, and it will, and it will run well, and you won't have uh, sound stuttering issues like you in Portal 1, for sure. That would be bad. <laughs> that would be very bad. Is the Radeon uh, HD6950, is that, that's still pretty much the sweet spot for you in that $200, $250 range? Yeah, I think so. It's, it's, yeah, definitely. It's, it's probably the best card in that price range. Um, you go a little bit below that, you, we're going to change our mind. You go a little bit above that, we'll change our mind. Right. But that's $200 point, that's, that's, that's really, really good pick. All right. Any other thoughts? Two gigabytes or four gigabytes of memory for anybody trying to save money? You've always got to get four gig. I mean, memory's so cheap. Usually, you're practically right. not even saving money. If you're saving twenty bucks, you're costing yourself fifty dollars in headache. So go right. ahead and get four gigs of memory. Um, 
I mean, I, I was looking at memory earlier today and I just was like, okay, that's, I mean, we bought 24 gigs for the, for the editing rig. That's obviously more than a bit extreme, but it's, you know, the, the fact that I could get that much memory for under $400 was mind blowing. So shocking. Do that. Oh, we've got an email here from Scott about a motherboard replacement plan. Says he enjoys the podcast every weekend when I finally have time to listen. Unlike Jack and show 115, I decided to return my B2 motherboard. Now with my refund money in hand, I am looking for a new Sandy Bridge board to make a home for my 2600K. I'm getting confused on my choices. Do I stick with a P67 or spend more to get one with an Enforce 200 to have more PCI Express by 16 slots for SLI? In parentheses, he says, I really don't understand why Sandy Bridge has so few PCIe lanes. Yeah, that's one of those issues. Price for the NF200 enabled boards are very expensive and they include many other special features. Is there a cheaper Enforce 200 motherboard coming out soon geared to those who want multi-GPUs but are not overclocking obsessed? Or do, or do the P67 motherboards have enough oomph with the two by 8 lane PCI Express slots pretending to be by 16 And P.S. why do we have 1155 and 1156 pin sockets other than to create confusion. <laughs> uh, I'll answer the last one first. The reason is the 1156 processors, Linfield, Clarkdale, and the 1155 processor, Sandy Bridge, are different electrically. So right. they needed to key them in a way that you couldn't accidentally stick the wrong one in the wrong motherboard. Um, and, and the 1155 versus 1156 is just one of the ways they do that. They didn't want to have um, 1156 Sandy Bridge and 1156 Linfield, or 1156 Sandy Bridge and 1156 uh, Linfield. So they just kind of alter it by one pin that helps with, it's supposed to help reduce confusion, although obviously in most people's case, uh, as we've talked about many times with Intel, branding, naming schemes, those types of things, they are not the best at altering confusion. They create a lot of it. <laughs> Just because it makes for more interesting activity in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually I, fun. We got a, oops, sorry. I was going to say, the, as far as the motherboards, Z68 motherboards are really close. If, if you haven't bought one already and you're listening to this mm -hmm. now, I would wait. Um, but to answer your question about the Enforce 200 part, um, mm -hmm. if you're just going to use two GPUs, by eight lanes is plenty of bandwidth for two graphics cards. Even if you've got two GTX 580s or something like that, uh, the two by eight slots on any SLI-capable P67 or Z68 motherboard is going to be perfectly fine for multi-GPU gaming. And you can get those cheap. Because I always talk about these Enforce 200 boards are the ones that are $300 to $400 for a P67 board. That's an awful lot of money to ask for a motherboard. So um, I, I would wait for Z68 one. And when those come out, you're, you're perfectly fine going with two by eight lanes collections there for, for your SLI. So it's funny. Uh, web 4765 on the uh, boards is like three gigabytes is the max my PC has ever tried to use. And it's like, time to go 64, man. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. 64 bit yeah, OS. <laughs> The uh, Dave Voyle says, I respect your opinions. What actually, excuse me, should we do the core? I'm sorry, I skipped over Corey Bruce's question. Corey sure. Bruce asks, do the working directories have to be on the C partition of the SSD to maximize speed? I have all my programs on the SSD and all working directories on the 7200 RPM D drive. Will video encoding be faster using the SSD as working directories? My minimal testing got almost the same frame per second, regardless of where the working directories were. Is this correct? 
Um, so by working directories, I'm assuming you're talking about where the physical data a program is manipulating is stored. The video you're editing in, uh, um, I want to say iMovie or Final Cut Pro, which is a sign that I've been working in this office for a while. Um, yeah. You know, the, the video you're editing or your Photoshop photo that you're editing um, you know, space is limited on an SSD, so you probably, you're, you know, you're probably thinking, gosh, I can't fit everything on that uh, drive, and you probably can't. Um, the, sh the short answer is like, Corey, Bruce, you've already answered your own question. You've done the best possible thing you can do in any situation when you're testing hardware. You've taken a real-world situation, your video encoding. You've tested it in both possibilities, the directory on the SSD uh, yeah with the application and the directory on the slower 7200 RPM hard drive with the, or, or, you know, basically on the slower hard drive, and you found a minimal difference in the performance, you've answered your question. You're good to go. Um, you know, if you were opening those files um, and closing those files repeatedly or you're doing a lot of batch processing, then the SSD would probably be faster. The SSD only helps when you're moving data, when you're opening files, when you're launching applications, when you're launching your operating system. Once the, the file is out of main, or once the file is off the drive and into main system memory, the SSD doesn't help. And I suspect the bottleneck on the encoding is your CPU or the combination of your CPU and GPU used for encoding, um, because the the process of encoding is incredibly taxing and probably happens. And I'm going to probably get in trouble for saying this, but I'm, I'm I'm thinking the bottleneck is more the actual time it takes to uh, encode that video rather than the time it takes to move the video on and off of the drive. So. Yeah, I mean, unless it'd have to be really extreme, you'd have to be working from some really massive source right. video for it not to be able to load up the source video. I mean, even if you're working like Adobe Premiere, um, if the source is on a spinning drive, it has to bring it into memory before it can do the encoding work and then write out the, the new file. You'd have to be working with or writing through some really serious image quality settings uh, and really huge files for that to be a bottleneck. I, I think you're right. I think it's more of a, of a, a, a CPU bottleneck. As a perfect example, we went from, I keep talking about this new rig we built for our video editing machine. We went from two quad-core Core 2 or Core Duo or Core Quad processors um, and 12 gigs of memory to a dual 6-core hyper-threaded processor Xeon system with 24 gigs of memory. And we saw our rendering times cut by more than half on HD video. And we are using basically SSDs as, this, as the same source each way. So this is all CPU improvements um, being seen there. And I would wager the only time you'll see storage improving your video editing is, again, if you're using really high-quality files and you're doing, mm -hmm. like, scrubbing back and forth. Like, during that editing process, when you actually hit the encode button, it loads everything into memory and then writes out. So I, I, I think... I think you're, you're, you're dead on there that it's, it's more CPU than storage based there. And not very many people can answer their own questions in the question. <laughs> it's always a plus. Yeah. This is awesome. 
This is the Samsung Samsung MD twenty three O X six. And Dave Voyle says, "I respect your opinions. What do you think of six monitor setups?" And if you go to this link that uh, Dave Voyle sent into us, it is a basically it is a pre built six monitor array. So there's two monitors two monitors and two monitors for a mere three thousand six hundred dollars and uh yeah if, if digital kitty was here she would go oh my god i could you know build you 20 you know six 24 inch monitors um <laughs> yeah which she has like i think at least three and probably by now six 30 inch monitors in her uh uh office likely, of doom likely. my first thought is like hey if your client's got the money and you don't feel like configuring this uh yourself this looks fantastic and then part of me goes 23 inch monitors sell for like 200 bucks a pop so that's 200 times six that's 1200 so you're paying like another 2400 dollars for the really cool frame and integration and box and shipping. That now, these bothers are, me. There's a couple of other things I'll point out. Mm -hmm. These are, I think these are the PVA monitors. Right. Right, so they're, they're really, really good quality displays. Okay. Um, also, I don't know of any other way to buy these particular displays. These are, are the Samsung thin bezel monitors right. that I think only exist in this form factor. If you look oh, at the really? pictures on them, you'll see that the, that the bezels are incredibly thin compared to what we're used to. Mm -hmm. um, these are the ones that, <laughs> it's been more than a year now, AMD first demoed iFinity configurations right. on and they're like, oh, you'll be able to buy these and like they're just now kind of starting to show up for sale. Um, and unfortunately for $3,600. Um, but you get six yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. You know, later in this Twitter conversation I had with uh, Dan, Dave Voyle, it, it came out that his client had already purchased this configuration. Mm -hmm. So that's good, I guess. You get to see yeah. it in person. Let me know how awesome it is. Um, but then you need, of course, you need to have a system that can power six right. displays. So you got to have two, three, uh, eight three output AMD cards or one of the Radeon 5870 Affinity Edition graphics cards that can do six individually. So, The, the thing that struck me was partially like, is your client doing this because they want to have the coolest set of monitors on the block? I mean, you know, because that was one of the funny things about uh, about seeing the Digital Kitty setup where she like stripped the cases off these monitors right. and built this really sophisticated armature to hold them up, you know. I mean... The, the people I see who actually use multiple monitors set up are basically, they kind of fall into two camps. They are gamers, especially flight sim users, and they are financial traders who are trying to watch 32 sets of graphs so they can do arbitrage and current, you know, currency trading or stock trades, you know, where you see like the classic movie, something's going on on Wall Street and there's some guy in a little tiny veal fattening pen just wider than his or her shoulders. And she's got the phone in one ear and, and six monitors and a keyboard. Um, you know, so part of me is like, I want to, I'm curious what your client's doing, you know, um, you know, because it's thirty six hundred. That's more than I paid for the last two cars. I bought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, together actually, they would just edge out thirty six hundred dollars. But you know, it's it's they're cool. Um, they, I don't know. They are they, without a doubt that they are they are cool. Samsung makes really nice glass. They make really nice monitors. As Ryan pointed out, these are the really cool ones with the thin bezels. Although part of me is like, what your client really needs is six D8000 46-inch flat panels that have the even thinner bezel arrayed in like a, let's, wow, that would be huge, dude. 
That would be a ridiculous. That would be like having yeah. a projector in front of the desk. Maybe your client needs one of the new short throw projectors. Optoma's coming out with new short throw projectors above the desk. So in any I'm case, thinking. they're cool. They're expensive. I think your client, you know, actually, I want to know if your client's happy with them. Email us, twitch yeah. at twit.tv. Send us pictures of the setup. Somebody standing in front of it. I want to see that stuff too. Uh, let's see. We've got an email from Sean about micro ATX motherboards. He says, I got a motherboard question for you. Love taking my gaming machine to my friend's house to show off my custom look of cooling loops and the power that allows me, that it allows me to wield. However, as with most gaming PCs, it is beyond huge. I'm considering upgrading my Phenom 2 955 to one of the AMD bulldozer parts when they come out, hopefully this summer, which will mm -hmm. allow haha, me to upgrade my motherboard at the same time. I'm just wondering, if I decide to go for a micro ATX board instead of my usual full ATX, will I be giving up anything other than the sheer number of ports? I would love to build a custom case that will provide just enough room for my liquid cooling and allow me to transport it more easily. I'm most concerned about heat dissipation from the board and, of course, the overall speed of the system. Uh, the, the answer is you don't give up anything that you don't see missing on the spec sheet, right? right? The, the chipsets in these micro ATX boards are more than likely going to be very similar. I think, you know, P67 boards are used in Sandy Bridge platforms, um, those are full-size ATX. I don't think mm -hmm. I've seen any micro-ATX of that. And then H67 is a chipset that um, is, is kind of fits the micro-ATX form factor. The difference between those two chipsets uh, currently is that the H67 allowed for integrated display output, but no overclocking, while the P67 right. was the exact opposite, had overclocking features than that. Obviously, if you're doing custom water cooling and talking about the power that allows you to build, you probably want to do overclocking. My guess is with the Z68 launch coming up, wait, no, I'm sorry, we're talking about AMD bulldozer parts here. Um, in that case, the 990FX and the 990X chipsets that will be out very soon, mm -hmm. it is very likely, and in fact, I would bet on it, that there will be lots of micro ATX motherboards that come out with full overclocking support and features. Um, and the only thing you'll lose is you won't be able to do SLI or multi-GPU graphics. You'll have to be right. limited to one discrete graphics card. Uh, there might be less room on the PCB for some of those extra features you're talking about. But if you're okay with, you know, the included four or I think they have six SATA six ports on those motherboards and one, mm -hmm. one graphics card and four memory slots, I don't see any problem with moving to an MATX platform at all. Not at all. No, and I've I think... I think it'd be a cool project to build, you know, a case around that. And if you do so, I mean, send us pictures, let us know how it goes. We'd, we'd love to be able to share that type of stuff uh, with the rest of the audience and see how, you know, how, how your design process was going and, and what you thought about the differences of it. I'd, I don't think you're giving up anything except for if you, if you want the potential to do multi-GPUs, I think that's the one thing you're giving up. Can't argue. I, I, yeah. I like small motherboards. It's been really funny watching uh, Robert Herron's built a couple home theater systems, and mm -hmm. and uh, he is now obsessed with like the the mini and the micro ATX boards. Um, which is actually how I ended up with my last motherboard because he bought the wrong size. So I have a new board to build the system <laughs> around. <laughs> um, David's got a question about a tablet config. Says, so are there going to be AMD Fusion chips in convertible PC tablets? Historically, most of those have used Intel chips. Actually, historically, most tablets have used ARM chips. 
um, because Apple's A4 and A5 right. are customized versions of the ARM processor designed to run a little bit faster than the ARM processor. Um, although, you know, okay, convertible PC tablets, most of them, most of them, I think, actually, yeah, are probably running Intel Atom. I would hope the Fusion is the new Dell one. Is that running an, an Atom or an AMD processor? Um, I have no idea. I don't I'm know. I'm going to Dell.com. Okay. I, mean, I, I, I would assume somebody's got to be using the... I don't, I don't know of anybody yet, but it makes uh -huh. a lot of sense. So by con I, I assume by convertible tablet, he means one that's a laptop that you then twist the screen on. Yeah. No, he says tablet and not... I guess just twist the screen so on. Convertible suggests it's the, the... To me, at least, I'm, I think that yeah. suggests it's the combo. I, I, there, there's no reason why they can't do that. There's no processing, there's no platform limitations or anything like that. And uh, I think it, what's really going to come down to is, is um, who, you know, Lenovo makes the most popular ones with the X201 and that type of thing. It's just a matter of integration. Um, I, I think we'll need to see the AMD Fusion chips uh, accepted, make sure they're, they have a good groundwork, that they're going to be around for a while. You know, because a, tab, a convertible tablet takes a lot more design time and customized right. design time than, say, slapping together a new Asus or MSI or Lenovo notebook, you know, swapping out a board and done, you're, go you know, you're good. Right. When you're building something like that, you want to be very specific about the hardware that's inside of it. So I expect that we will see something like that. Uh, but... Intel has a huge market share domination, right? So it's kind of like law of percentages. Eventually we'll see one and however, however successful it is or they tend to be will we'll be how many more we see in the future. Did you find that Dell machine or? Yeah, the uh, Dell Inspiron Duo, a.k.a. the new convertible, starts at $550. It's kind of funny. I was talking with uh, Jason Cross from PC World. He was over mm -hmm. on Texilla this week doing notebook picks. Yeah, Adam Dual Core N550. For some reason, I could have sworn that had a... Uh, uh, I could like have sworn that had or a, something? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I thought it actually had a, a, a AMD CPU. But it's a pretty interesting design because unlike the tablets where you've got like the... The, the convertible notebook tablets where the, the monitor flips up and then you spin mm -hmm. it and then you rotate it back down. Um, this one actually has, it kind of looks like a children's toy because the monitor is inside a big frame that runs oh, around right, it right, and right. you physically flip it around. Okay. Um, so that actually, they've shown that, the that off originally. Is that one where you can remove CS. it from the keyboard or is that, that's another, that's a different This product, one is definitely it? not removable from the keyboard. Okay. Actually, I just dropped the link into the show notes. I don't know if John can pull it up on the TriCaster, um, but it's a, it is a, uh, it is a, it's a, just a, I, I, part of me is, is really curious about how that's going to hold up long term because you know yeah. notebooks. The the part that usually dies on a notebook, uh, at least for me, if you don't kill the monitor, is the cabling inside the joint because there's this incredibly small ribbon cable and this incredibly small connector that holds it together. Um, so I, I, I wonder what they've done on this tablet where they've, you know, see if I can actually, what they've done on this tablet because you can just see how it's, it's designed to literally flip inside the right. frame right there. And I'm just looking at that, that and thinking like, how is that joint going to hold up long term? Did, did that make the like bezel that? very large then? I mean, it seemed like it would have to be a, a thicker, stronger bezel to kind of support that weight shifting. I, I would think so. I mean, you're you're talking about a where is it here? <laughs> going to try not to make anybody too seasick on here. Um, sure. two, two, two. Uh, you know, it's a 10.1 inch display. Gotcha. So, 
Yeah, with, so that's, that's not tiny, right? I mean, it's, it's no. a pretty good size, but that, okay. My guess is then it would have the bezel more of a 12-inch screen then type of thing as well. I would think so. I would. Let's see. We've got uh, another email from Ray about video editing upgrade. It says he's doing HD video editing for my friend's band, Nothing Professional, uh, <laughs> with Premiere CS5. I've got an AMD Phenom 2 X2 Windows 7 64-bit with 4 gigs of RAM, a terabyte, 6 gig SATA uh, as a primary drive, 2 gig. I assume he means 2 terabytes SATA 2 as my secondary drive and an SSD for the OS. He's looking to invest not a whole lot of cash in an upgrade to make the video rendering quicker. It's currently about 12 minutes of rendering for every 1 minute of video, depending on the output settings, of course. I'm thinking that a CUDA-based video card will probably give me the best decrease in rendering times. There's just too many, uh, there's just way too many from a mere tech mortal like myself to pick, though. I'm driving a pair of 22-inch DVI monitors and really don't do any serious gaming. Additionally, how much performance increase would, say, extra RAM or a faster, more core CPU do instead of the GPU? It's an interesting question. Um, my first thought was, having, again, just built this video rig, and we actually have CS5 on it too, Adobe CS5. Right. We still haven't figured out how to enable GPU encoding on it. There used to be a software plugin from Elemental Technologies right. that did it, and now I think that company only does like uh, online distributed type rendering applications. Hmm. I'm not really sure. Uh, and I looked up Main Concept; they do GPU accelerated uh, encoding and transcoding through Adobe CS5. Um, but anytime a piece of software says "call for prices," I tend to not want to call for prices because <laughs> usually it means it's going to be really, really expensive to do so. And so I went back yeah. and looked at the question again, and I think your bottleneck here, pal, is going to be your Phenom 2 X2 processor. Right. I, I, it was kind of funny because, you know, I, CUDA support has been much, it, CUDA has been much, much better, more popular. English is kind of like my first language. Technically, it's my only language, but, um, you know, it's like Mercury, the Mercury engine inside of, of Adobe Premiere CS5, and last time I right. checked, there were only a very small number of certified cards that they wanted uh, the Mercury engine to run on, and please correct me if I've got this backwards in my head, because again, I spend a lot more time in Final Cut these days than uh, Adobe mm -hmm. Premiere, not because Adobe Premiere isn't an amazing editing tool, um, but it's no, really... No, you are correct. It's, it's, it's limited, although if uh, you look in certain places, there are Apparently, simple text files you can edit that it will accept much more. Oh, cool! Uh, many more cards. Obviously, not officially supported, but yeah. yeah. And quadro cards are expensive, and that's you know, if you want to stay official and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, the cheapest quadro card you can probably buy that's going to actually accelerate things is probably going to be in the five to six hundred dollar range. Right. Um, anyway, so frustrating. Uh, yeah. I would say I would say your dual core. He didn't really say what speed, I don't think, but um, dual-core processors are a little bit dated. Uh, the Phenom 2, it's still a good processor if you're doing basically anything else. You, you know, you, you have picked the one computing task you can do that will gobble up every bit of CPU power you possibly can. We've got, uh, you know, 24 threads or whatever running in there, and when we do a video decode or encode, it's using 95% of the processing power available, you know, Mm -hmm. in the machine. So it, it will use everything. If you get these well-threaded applications, it will use everything. Yeah. Um, maybe memory too. I mean, the, the faster you can load stuff up. I, I don't, it really depends on what your exact yeah. workloads are. 
but it's 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 yeah you know it's video rendering and editing is the one place where it's it's it starts getting difficult you you know spend to the max of your hardware budget and spend it really carefully um i just it would, i just posted a link actually uh there's a pretty amazing guide on uh, studio one productions um mm-hmm. Uh, they did an article on Premiere CS5, and they've got the information on unlocking uh, CS5 to use other cards. Uh, definitely take a look at some of the benchmarks out there, and yeah, get a you know faster CPU, then a faster GPU, and and you know then more memory, and then you get a SATA, uh, an SSD drive, and then you think you know now I need an even faster GPU, and and then you get a faster <laughs> CPU to go with that. Bill, on, one, one last point. The only other good thing is since he's he's got an AMD Phenom 2 processor, I'm guessing his motherboard will support the Phenom X6 processors, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. So you can move from a dual-core to a six-core processor. In theory, check your motherboard BIOS, um, you know, check for the latest BIOS on the motherboard vendor site and, and look for that CPU support list. You can go from a two-core to a six-core system you know, just by swapping out the processor, not having to worry about motherboards or anything else, it's it's probably your your easiest, quickest bet to improve that time. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, back to that. Back to our email. Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, the uh, that article actually on on Studio One actually they did rendering comparisons um, based on it. It's basically the more cores, the more CPU cores you have, the better your performance will be. Uh, having a video yep. card with 96 CUDA cores and DDR5 memory was more sufficient, more than sufficient, gave us very close performance as higher-end video cards with more CUDA cords and a wider memory bandwidth. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. You know, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, wow. Yeah, you can spend a lot of time reading this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um yeah, let's let's move on to the final question because I'm about to go into feral nerd uh, uh, benchmark examination, and that it doesn't really make for good television or podcasting. Nice. Bill's looking for a free NAS option. He says, "I was listening to your last podcast and I heard your bet on using a Drobo box as a sand for video editing." Mm, depends on which Drobo box. <laughs> um, I had a quick suggestion for a viable alternative. Uh, it's one thing for archival; it doesn't work very well as a scratch disk um, for the system. Uh, very few NAS boxes actually will do that well. Mm-hmm. Says I had a quick suggestion for a viable alternative that I use as a file server where I work as well as at home. Free NAS which rocks. I love FreeNAS. Uh, it's a BSD-based open source project. You can literally build a server to specs and install on. I won't go into the nitty-gritty of the software, but needless to say, it has a myriad of features. What I find most valuable is the ability of an operating system to spin down your drives when they're not in use. They power off after a certain amount of idle time, which you can manage and then power back up when called upon, or a sleep schedule can be set for, say, business hours. As you can imagine, this helps a lot with drive longevity. Also, there are on-the-fly smart monitoring abilities inside the software, and well, I could keep going on, but I don't want to turn on this into a couple-page letter. I'd highly recommend that anyone looking at setting up a file server or SAN take a look at this as a solution. Who can argue with free, right? Absolutely. Uh, I've had people who had issues about spinning down hard drives on NAS devices now that impacted other uh, other operating systems working with them. Um, I will say uh, I'm actually waiting for the new version of FreeNAS to finish getting built um, Hmm. because uh, where did it go? Um, Because I was talking to the guys from uh, uh, IX Systems because we just bought a massive box from them and uh, I'd met some of those guys in the previous life. Um, They were working on uh, release candidate three 
for the new version of that. Basically because they're doing a full version of ZFS implementation, like the Open Solaris ZFS, um, that allows for some really amazing um, um, management of your drives. So I will, I'm actually working on building a system around that for a Texilla episode. I, I love FreeNAS. We've built FreeNAS boxes in the past. There's, they're, they're pretty cool. Um, ZFS is actually incredibly cool. It's the, the, yeah. just the, the file system and, and, uh, uh, and volume manager is pretty sophisticated. But yeah, FreeNAS is amazing. If you want to know where to find it, I will freenas.org uh, is the right website for that. In fact, cool. let me look at it right now. Have they released the latest See, I've, version? I've never actually used it hands-on with it, but so many people have talked about it and kind of recommended it that I, I, I think I need to. I think I need to do that. I think I have some <laughs> extra computer parts laying around here where I could build one. So might be you could build on. probably like seven or eight. <laughs> <laughs> My problem is all the cases I have are like these enormous gaming cases. A free NAS and say a Raven. Silverstone Raven 2 chassis is a little bit of overkill. Um, no, we'll the best part that. is you can put that in the closet with like a 24-inch monitor to watch the command line with. Yeah. And somebody's going to be putting a code away and be like, what's this? And you can tell them that's my... <laughs> really impress them. NAS, yeah. <laughs> or, or scare them. <laughs> If you've got a question or a suggestion or an idea or a project you want us to comment on or help out with, do us a favor. Email us, twitch at twit.tv, or you can hit us on the Twitters at Ryan Shrout or at Patrick Norton. i got to say, what's coming up on PC Per this week? Are, are, are you getting some relief from the rush of GPU mayhem? I would like to believe that. Um, I don't <laughs> think it's going to be the case. Um, we will definitely have some graphics card stuff. We always do. I know we are finishing up uh, on one of our first reviews of a dual-core Sandy Bridge notebook. So those are finally coming of age, so to speak. We've got a lot of other good things coming up. Um, still, the 3D article that we had hoped to have up, I think, last week even. A lot of other stuff has kind of come up from the AMD NVIDIA combatant side of things, so we're still working on that as well. Um, and, of course, we launched the new website. We have the whole new design up there at PCPer.com, and we are still doing daily contests and giveaways. If you go to the website every day, I think right now we have an OCZ 120-gig SSD giveaway running that will end nice. probably as soon as this show is done recording. So by the time you listen to this, if you've downloaded it, Something else will be giving away. We've got, we've given away like a three hundred fifty dollar motherboard, and we've got really high end uh, Corsair speakers and headphones have gone and all kinds of stuff. So just just check out the new site. We're looking for opinions and feedback on that. And uh, what about on Techzilla? You got, I know you talked about uh, building uh, this that NAS project for that, but other stuff on the horizon as well. Uh, well, we just actually did a uh, uh, segment I had a lot of fun with. Uh, somebody is tired of traveling with all the wall warts. For all their all their devices use USB charging, like micro USBs for charging, mm -hmm. or like the iPad 2, they they go from a USB to a dock connector, and they were looking for a single device to charge all of their USB devices, including that miserable two amp over USB charge for the iPad and iPad 2. We right. got an answer for that. We got a bunch of free games. Uh, Anthony Carboni from ByteJacker came on and and found some really slick independently uh, produced games that are free and pretty amazing. Uh, Jason Cross, I mentioned, is coming on with a notebook buyer's guide. So if you're thinking about buying a new notebook, he's got some 
recommendations. And uh, Robert Heron has one of Panasonic's new HDTVs, which has beautiful colors, awesome black levels once you um, calibrate it. Some really amazing looking black levels. It's a 50 inch flat panel for under $1,400. And actually, it's, it's MSRP is 1350, which means it should be under $1,300 uh, when you're buying it. So that's what's coming up on huh. Techzilla in the next couple days. Very cool. Yeah, I, li I like the idea of a, an inexpensive, beautiful 50-inch uh, uh, flat panel. I could, for me, a 50-inch flat panel for under $1,300 is a pretty incredible deal, especially yeah. because it doesn't look like ass. And it includes uh, uh, Wi-Fi dongles, so you can use it uh, with built-in Netflix and everything else. I'm just amazed at how fast uh, HDTV prices are dropping. Yep. And Blu-rays are cheap, and Netflix is everywhere. So... Yeah, one, somebody, work, somebody that works in the office with me had a, a panel go out, and they, the Samsung repair was quoted at seven hundred and something dollars. Whoa. I said, "No, no, you can buy a new plasma fifty-inch TV for seven hundred bucks now." So. <laughs> oh well, it is super cheap, ladies and gentlemen. That is it for this episode of Twitch. I'm Patrick Norton. I'm Ryan Trout. We'll see you next week on Twitch. Mm -hmm.